0: Welcome and thank you for connecting with us at Parkwood Baptist Church. Here at Parkwood, we exist to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. You can find more information about our church at parkwoodonline.org. By visiting our website, you will be able to learn more about Parkwood and our mission. Now join us as we grow together through the teaching of God's word. Good morning, we come to Luke chapter 4 today. I invite you, if you would, to take a Bible and turn there with me. If you don't have one, there's one under a chair close by you, page 859. Luke chapter 4, 1 to 13. My prayer for you is that this will not be familiar today. That God will take his word and apply it to all of our hearts. So let's stand as we acknowledge this is the word of God. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. until an opportune time lord we pray now you cause us to understand your word help us not to leap straight to application but to see what you're doing what you are teaching us and who you are we pray this in jesus name amen you can be seated so last week we concluded chapter three we saw two things that are important to be in your mind We saw the events of the baptism of Jesus and the genealogy which revealed to us that Jesus is the son of Adam and that he is the beloved son of God. It is with these two realities in mind that he is the son of Adam and the beloved son of God that we come to Luke chapter 4. The tendency with the temptation of Jesus is to go right to how do we handle temptation. Let's be careful. Let's be careful that we don't bypass what this text teaches us about Jesus Christ. Quote The temptation incident is the only, the second time in Scripture that a human comes face to face with the devil. Unlike Adam and Eve in paradise, Jesus does not succumb to the devil's enticements. The testing reveals that being God's beloved son entails a mission, a mission that must be fulfilled. And Jesus shows that he is committed to accomplishing this mission according to the marching orders of the Father and the means which he supplies. Sonship requires obedience, not just of the Son of God, but of the sons and daughters of God. Sonship requires obedience. And Jesus demonstrates that as God's son, he is faithful. And he's not going to serve his own needs. And he's not going to satisfy his own desires. That Jesus, the beloved son, has an unswerving allegiance to God the Father. Even when he is confronted by the devil himself, he does not give in. So here's the main idea of the day that led by the spirit Jesus overcomes the temptations of the devil by the word of God before we get to the temptations let's see that Jesus led by the spirit into the wilderness Jesus fasts for 40 days and faces temptation by the devil some important concepts and things that we need to see Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned to the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. So we see this incident again reveals Jesus' unique relation and dependence on the Holy Spirit. He is full of the Holy Spirit. This reveals the necessity and power of the Holy Spirit in the face of temptation. It also reveals this, that Jesus is genuinely human. He must be full of the Spirit. Luke uses the phrase full of the Holy Spirit multiple times. Each time he is describing what a truly spiritual person is. So full of the Holy Spirit he was led by the Spirit. You say well that's just being redundant. No it's not. It's making a very important point that what transpires here is ordained by God. The devil's not in charge. God is this is not a surprise Jesus is not caught off guard for 40 days being tempted by the devil he ate nothing during those days and when they were ended he was hungry so back at the river it's declared that Jesus is a beloved son of God as one pastor said now Jesus steps to the gates of hell and what Jesus experienced in the wilderness would have killed a weaker person shows his strength jesus is not on a retreat he's not up at some mountain cabin 40 days he experiences exposure and hunger and he finds himself in a weakened state where he is tempted by the devil now what we have before us is the climax of the temptation and before we get there i want to ask two questions number one is the devil real then why don't you talk like that? Notice how seldom modern Christians mention devil. They're like my New Testament professor. The devil is a metaphor. I went to a liberal school, by the way, early on. It's a metaphor. I didn't write this. If the devil does not exist, then Christianity has been dead wrong on a central point from the beginning. This text is clear. This is an event, a battle between two real beings. And here's what messes people up when you come to this text. The devil's not some kind of diabolical stereotype. He's not hideous. There's not some kind of terrible evil he's trying to draw Jesus into. These are very subtle things. He's not being cruel. He's not making the earth ugly. He's actually making it more agreeable. These enticements are deceptive. But don't miss. He is the adversary. And Jesus handles him that way. He's real and he is the adversary. Question number two, is it sinful to be tempted? No. Because we know that Jesus here is tempted at least three times, yet he is without sin. It is not wrong to be tempted. It is sinful when we give into and give way to temptation. So before we look at the temptations, I want us to go back in our minds and think. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam faces the tempter in the richness and beauty of the garden along with his wife Eve. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus faces the devil in desolation and in the wilderness. Adam and Eve are surrounded by every provision of God. No work yet. No job. God is providing. Jesus is utterly destitute. He has nothing, nothing to eat. But in in Genesis, you have the fall of man. But here, you have the standing of man. The man Jesus Christ. So led by the Spirit, Jesus overcomes the temptations of the devil by the word of God. The first temptation. The temptation to provide for yourself. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. Depending on who you read, how you interpret, particularly the fact that uses the conditional phrase, if, most people are interpreting this simply to say, the devil's calling into question, if you really are the son of God, then prove it by making the stones into bread. I think something else is happening here. I didn't make this up on my own. I, I, I think there's something deeper. I, I think the devil is saying, based on the fact you are the son of God, why are you suffering? Do something about it. You don't have to do this. You, 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 you can call those stones into bread and eat right now. You've got the ability to do that. But you see, unlike the devil, Jesus is not fixated on need. He's not fixated on what he needs at the moment. Basically, the devil's saying, what are you suffering for? So the temptation of Jesus is to satisfy his hunger in an inappropriate manner. That's the temptation. To satisfy his hunger in an inappropriate manner. The satisfaction of hunger, if he did that, would represent a distrust of God's provision and God's protection of him as the son. So basically, what what the devil is saying, God's abandoned you, look out for yourself. It can be better than this. Modern culture. This is not just an individual thing now. We live in a culture that is fixated on needs and wants. We're now controlling each other by you've got to meet my need, you've got to give me what I want. This is so permeated now into Christianity, and I call this American Christianity, not biblical Christianity, that we have these now phrases that are readily used and brought to bear. Just believe God for it. Speak it into existence. I have a question. Are those two statements an expression of dependence or demand? That you are demanding something of God. This temptation for us is real. Just as it was for Jesus. But don't you miss this. Jesus does not respond primarily to the devil as the son of God. Jesus responds to the devil as a man. You say, I don't know, what do you mean? It's real simple. Look at what he says. Man shall not. Not the Son of God shall not. Man shall not live by bread alone. Jesus quotes the Scripture every time he is tempted. He begins, it is written, or it is said. He's pointing to the full authority of God. So what does not agree with Scripture does not come from God. So we got to turn our hearts to that which comes from God. It's also significant every time he quotes the book of Deuteronomy. Now I don't have time to work this out in the sermon because I don't want to keep you here all day. But not only is there a parallel between Jesus and Adam, there is a parallel going on between Jesus and Israel throughout this text. And you see it here with these quotations of God's commands to Israel in the wilderness. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3. As he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know. So why did God let them suffer? Why did he let them do without food? Why did he he leave them? Then why did he feed them with manna? So that they would know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So here's what Jesus is saying to Satan and what you've got to say to your own heart. It's not just rebuking the devil. You've got to say this to your own heart. There's something more important than bread. There is something that is more important to your livelihood than just meeting your needs. The word of God is more fundamental than the provision of food. Now I'm not arguing that you need to go hungry. God promises other places to provide for his his children. That's not the point to do without food. The point is there's something more fundamental than food and it is the very word of God. So let me challenge you let me implore you one more time brothers and sisters of how astounded I am to continue to hear that Christians are reading the Bible less during the COVID crisis than before what it it says to me is that most Christians believe there's something more fundamental in their life there's somewhere else they're going to find food when God has provided it for you You shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Second temptation. The temptation to believe false promises and to practice false worship. All right, so hang with me here so you get what's happening. The devil is offering Jesus a crown without a cross. The devil took him up, showed him the kings of the world in a moment of time. That's different than how Matthew says it. Matthew says he took him to a high mountain, and I'm not going to spend time explaining what's going on with that. Jesus took, the devil took Jesus to a place to see. We all good with that? And he said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. Hmm. So what do you do with that? So is the devil telling the truth? Listen very carefully. Partly. You say, what? Let me just remind you what the Bible says. The Bible says he is the ruler of the kingdom of the air, Ephesians 2.2. 2. That the sport, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, Ephesians 6.12. 1 John 5.19, that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. But let's get it straight now, what's actually happening. Even though those things are true, the devil is a liar. He is a deceiver. And here's what he cannot do. He cannot translate those things that are true of him to someone else. He can't deliver on what he promises Jesus. Also, let us remember that the power of the devil is limited. You don't have good and evil, God and devil, yin and yang as two equal forces battling out in the cosmic universe. The Lord God Almighty is sovereign, and the devil operates under the sovereign control of Almighty God. He's on a leash. He's not operating on his own. He is limited. He is subordinate to God. So he can't deliver this, but here's what he wants. Here's what he wants. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. He offers this false promise to get Jesus to bow down and worship him. And, and what he's after here is not just a moment in time to where he falls on his knees and says, okay, I'll worship you, give that to me. It's, it, it means a defection to defect from the Lord God Almighty. Now, now, we're not in a moment of time like this in our lives. Most of us, we don't, we don't come to a moment like this. You know, there's the, the old legend of Robert Johnson, the blues musician, that he came to the crossroads and the, he sold his soul to the devil so he could play the guitar. You heard those kind of things before. This, I, I, don't, I don't think we need to look at our lives like we're coming to a moment like Jesus did here. I think for us, it's more like casting crowns. And the song they wrote, Slow Fade. Just slow fade. We believe the lies around us. We begin to, a little bit at a time, grab the lie, grab the lie, grab the lie. And before we know it, we are worshiping an idol. We've wandered away from the Lord God. Here's what we need to do. We need to remember what Jesus said. Jesus answered him, it is written... You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Deuteronomy 6, 13. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Revere. This is healthy fear. Worship him shall you serve and by his name you shall swear. And remember, Israel's commanded over and over again. Don't worship idols. Don't worship idols. Every time, Disaster. One after the other. Every time you give in to worshiping idols in your life, disaster is following. It's coming. God will not be mocked. He will not allow his people who call on his name to worship false gods, including themselves. Here's what Jesus is saying. There is no offer great great enough to persuade me to abandon my father and his plan. So I have a question for you before I move on. Is there an offer or is there a demand that would make you bow down? Some of you have heard me tell this story before. In the 90s, I was spending some time with a a speaker, a youth speaker that we had. and He's from Texas and he was friends with a very prominent youth pastor there. And he was telling me about how he was pleading with this brother not to sign his daughter over to a record deal with a company in California. He did, and his daughter has had one destruction after another. You all know who she is. Would you sell your kid for fame? Would you sell your soul for money? Listen to me. A lot of us are going to have to make some decisions in the next 15, 20 years, maybe the next five. Because the modern world demands allegiance now. Bow down. And here's where the allegiance is coming from. It's coming from a place I don't think we saw, Here's where it's coming from. It's not going to be a new religion with a new religious figure. It's it's secular, and here's its form sexual expression. And if you don't bow, you're out. It's going to hinge on your jobs, it's going to hinge on your education. It's going to hinge on almost every decision of your life. And I've told you before, there's coming a day when they're going to tell me what I can say. And I've told you before, and I pray every person who ever stands in this pulpit, I will go to jail for it. As John MacArthur recently said, I'm ready for a jail ministry like Paul. Will you bow? Jesus says, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Here's the third one, the temptation to test God. Oh, if you thought we were rambling around in our world, we're about to really ramble. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. So surely if if God will rescue anybody, he'll do it here by the temple where God dwells. So in light of God's proximity, Jesus, feel free. Throw yourself down. The angels will catch you. You may or may not know this. He says, that the devil, it is written. He quotes Psalm 91. He quotes the Bible. There's a lot of deceivers out there who know the Bible. Can quote it up one side and down the other. But they misuse it. They they misrepresent it. Here's how. To suit their purposes. To do with it what they want. So genuine faith does not use it to suit its purposes. And certainly genuine faith doesn't need some kind of sensational proof to get God's attention. Genuine faith believes God. So Jesus answers... It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Deuteronomy 6, 16. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him in Messiah. So no one should try to bargain with God. You should simply believe him and obey him. He's God. He's not the one to be bargained with. He is the sovereign. You're not. So when you put God to the test, you question the character of God. Now, people want to grab hold on one side of God and say, Well, you know, God's loving. God, because you're loving, you have to do this with me. But God is holy. God is good. God is righteous. You can't put God in a corner and grab hold on one part and demand him to do something. You also test his promises. If God promises that he's going to provide or God promises that he will see you through difficulty or if he commands you to do something or not to do something, if you refuse those things, you put God to the test. So let me just give a couple of examples of how I see modern Christians testing God. And this isn't new. This has been going on for a long time. It goes like this. I know I shouldn't do that. I know God said not to, but you know what? He's a loving God and he is gracious. And if I do that, he'll forgive me. The book of Hebrews says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. You know what the the writer of Hebrews is saying? Every time you come to that moment and you say, if I do this, God will forgive me. It's not belief that God will forgive you that leads you to do it. It's the hardening of your heart that leads you to do it. And every time you do that, your heart gets harder. And there's going to come a day if you keep that up. Well, you'll no longer hear his voice. second way God if you're God you're gonna make this turn out for me if you're God I'm gonna get this job if you're really God I'll get this scholarship if, if you're God he'll marry me it's a rather long quote as we tend to show a lack of trust in God it is to try to force him to act on our behalf. In the test we often set up, we want to see God, are you for us or against us? Which, by the way, he's already answered that. This type of spiritual wagering does not involve leaping from tall buildings, but walking into events where we say, in effect, if you care for me, God, then this situation is going to turn out the way I think it should. In essence, we presume on how God should act. This kind of testing is an attempt to control God and not follow his leading. We are setting ourselves up for disappointment, since it may be in our best interest for events to go in an entirely different direction than what we desire. Jesus refuses to do this. He refuses to test God. Instead, he rests on the promise that he is the beloved Son of God as proclaimed by the Father. He decides that he will stick to the mission of God and that he will embrace what is ahead. A cross. Jesus knows that the cross lies before him. But he also knows that beyond the cross is a resurrection and beyond the resurrection is a declaration that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So Jesus here reveals to us that life is defined as doing God's will and walking in God's way, even if the future entails suffering and difficulty and self-denial. As a result of that, this text ends with a nominous note. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. What does that mean? Let's go over to Luke chapter 22 and I'll show you. Luke twenty-two, verse three. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was the number of twelve. Verse thirty-one. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Look, God lets it happen. He does. Verse 53, you read right past this. When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. Now he's rebuking those who have come to arrest him. And then he says, this is why it's happening. This is your hour and the power of darkness. This is the grand battle. When Jesus and Satan go head to head. This is the hour of the power of darkness. And just as he does in the wilderness, Jesus wins. He wins. And because of that, we know that Jesus, who is tempted in every way, provides the way of salvation. I want you to look in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now that's the crucial statement right there. Yet without sin. Because Jesus is without sin because he was the sinless sacrifice who hung on the cross and died in our place and took the penalty of our sin and bore our sin for us, he has provided the way of salvation. He has opened the way to the throne of grace. So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy. We cannot earn or deserve our salvation. It must be given to us by the mercy of God. That by faith we trust in what Christ has done in our stead to save our souls. But there is a salvation that transpires regularly in our lives. I'm not talking about our eternal salvation. It is to find grace to help us in the time of need. God is doing his saving work in his children every day. It's called sanctification. He's giving you help in your time of need, in your moment of crisis, in your moment of temptation. He promises this, 1 Corinthians ten thirteen that no temptation has overcome you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you tempt him beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. <laughs> I remember as a young man saying, I-, I can't stand up under this. I can't take this. I'm going to give in. Then I found this verse. And it was amazing in those moments then when they would face me and they faced me the rest of my life when I thought, I can't stand up under this. This verse comes into your mind. There is no temptation overtaking you is not common to man. He will provide a way of escape. So what's the escape? A hatch in the floor that you fall through and get out of it? Is that what it means? You know what the way of escape is? There you go. Somebody got it jesus shows you the way of escape it's the word of god psalm 119 11, i have stored up your word in my heart why that i might not sin against god in those moments god will bring his word by the power of the holy spirit to your mind he will give you a way of escape The reason so many of you are not seeing the way of escape is you've not done what Psalm 119.11 tells you to do. It's to store up his word in your heart. That's not just memorization. It is memorization, but it is more than that. It is amazing to me how I will remember verses verbatim that I have never set out to memorize in the moment I need it. Jesus even promises in the moment when you stand before a tribunal, when they're about to sentence you to death, he will bring it to your mind. What what greater temptation could there be to bow down and back down than right then? God provides his word. And in his word, we see that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and gave his life for us and has provided for us a new and living way. Here's my prayer and here's my plea. We're about to sing what is probably for many of you your favorite hymn. It is well with my soul. Is that true? Maybe for some of you, it's you need to repent today because you've been giving in the temptation. Maybe for some of you, you've never trusted Christ and it's not well. But listen to me. Here's where all the sinners in this room can find hope. My sin not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross. He bore it for me, for us, that we bear it no more. So children of God, beloved sons and daughters, sing this song with rejoicing and dependence, that apart from him, it'll never, ever, be well with your soul. Let's pray. Lord, I plead on behalf of men and women present who are not trusting in Christ, who have not looked to him as the Savior. May they repent of their sin and look to you today. And for the believers in this room who are trying to battle temptation and the evil one in their own power, may they repent today. And Lord, may all of us, may all of us be reminded and renewed to look to your word, to read your word, to study your word, to hide your word, that we might have escape in the moment of our need. Holy Spirit, thank you that you fill us as your children and you lead us. So lead us now as we sing in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together.